for that. And we've got our top story for the day, which is, of course, the end to that strike in Canada. Now, the trickle-down effects after what has happened of nearly two weeks of shutdowns. Joining us to talk about it, we've got Paul Brashear joining us from ITS Logistics. Paul, thank you for being here. It's great to have you and to get your perspective. Kaylee, Anthony, always a pleasure, guys. It's great to have you on, Paul. And jumping into this topic, we're going to be some of the big impacts that we're going to see immediately after this. Well, now the fun starts. Uh, you've got two weeks of freight sitting uh, in Vancouver and Prince Rupert that need to get out. Uh, so the biggest concern in the near term is going to be uh, getting drivers into the ports and getting that freight uh, out of the terminals. And uh, we didn't increase the amount of drivers. Uh, we just increased the amount of containers that need to get out. So uh, we're going to be looking to get as much of that freight out as possible. And then uh, our hope is that because the trucking community and the shipping community, uh, you know, weren't the cause of this, that we'll get some uh, alleviation of demurrage and free time uh, to, to get those out. And then the, the next thing we'll be looking at is all the IPI that's coming uh, into those ports that need to go uh, to Detroit and Chicago and the Midwest, they're all going to start arriving at the same time. And there's already some capacity issues for chassis and, and some congestion that, that we're seeing in Chicago. So there's also going to be a concern that a lot of these containers will show up and they'll sit and you've got your 24 to 48 hours that you usually get from the, the ramps to get that freight out. And if you don't get that freight out, then there's the, the storage charges that, that could accumulate there. So we're hoping that the rail uh, providers and the ramp uh, operators will uh, also extend some free time to get that freight out to, to make sure that uh, the trucking community and uh, the BCOs aren't footing the bill for, for this impasse that couldn't get resolved the last two weeks. So prior to the decision that was dropped this morning, we heard news yesterday from John Schmitter, who was over at Rail State, who brought us some really interesting perspective on what the actual health at Port of Vancouver and Prince Rupert looked like. Their data showed that volumes at Prince Rupert continuously or straight up just dropped to zero at the first of the month right. and have been at zero completely flatlined since then. We're now hearing response from Canadian National saying this is going to take us weeks, possibly months to undo. Can you talk about now some of those trickle-down effects when you're looking at the port health and also from those rail lines that directly feed into both Vancouver and Prince Rupert? Yes, yeah, so our rule of thumb uh, for this is going to be for every, let's call it five business days that there was a strike, we're looking at about a month uh, to, to stabilize just Vancouver. And then you've got another week to two weeks to get that freight uh, to the to the ramps uh, throughout Canada and and parts of the United States, and and you're looking at another you know month or so for that to to kind of smooth out. So we're looking at about uh, easily two to three months for for things to uh, get back to where they need to be. And one thing to call out as well is that a lot of our clients. And a lot of NBOs and steamship lines are rebooking freight that hits the water today, Trans-Pacific, uh, into the United States. So you'll see more than likely a lot of freight that was routed up into British Columbia and Prince Rupert, uh, primarily during COVID and, uh, and people hedging as a relief valve to stay away from the U.S. West Coast during the ILW uh, negotiations, return back to the U.S. 
and more than likely not head back into Canada for a considerable amount of time because now the issue is going to be what is congestion like up there? How long is it going to take? And we're also at peak season in the ocean side and the ocean containers coming in right now are going to be a higher volume than they normally are this time of year. So that'll be something that uh, shippers are going to be hedging as well. And Paul, kind of going off of that, because that's going to be my next question is, do we potentially see that there's going to be permanent loss of some volumes of folks that were able to reroute through other ports? Are we looking at maybe the future of this port looking like it's just going to have less volume going forward? Yeah, that that's uh, what we're forecasting. And uh, the difference, you know, this isn't just kind of uh, uh, people avoiding uh, potential troublesome area. Uh, most folks would want to push freight through the United States, LA, Oakland, and Seattle, Tacoma. So you'll have freight return back to where it wants to, to naturally flow to. And there is not a lot of volume going through the U.S. West Coast right now. So there's tons of trucking capacity. Uh, there is tons of transload capacity. There is tons of uh, dry van and, and flatbed and, and rail and IMC capacity sitting on the West Coast. So that is going to lend itself to some really great rates. We were doing some uh, analysis on rates. And to divert freight from Vancouver right now uh, probably is going to actually end up saving, even with a transload and uh, an IMC or a truckload move, you know, three to five, maybe somewhere around 10% uh, in total freight bill moving that back to the United States. So, Paul, obviously this labor negotiation with a true 13-day strike was pretty consequential when it comes to the actual stoppage of labor. The negotiations with the ILWU and the PMA were very hot and there were a lot of words thrown back and around. But honestly, the work stoppages were pretty minimally impactful. Of course, we have to thank the lack of volumes in LA Long Beach and up along the West Coast for that. But do both of these negotiations in such a short amount of time kind of set the tone for what future labor negotiations might look like when it comes to the dock workers? Does that almost give the dock workers a little bit more leverage, possibly, in future negotiations? Well, you know, I would actually say it's the the opposite. I, it seems to me that that the ILWU actually kind of, you know, let uh, both the Canadian government and the U.S. government come in and kind of put them in their place and, you know, kind of force them back to the job. And I think we're kind of actually seeing that. I was talking with Manny McElroy uh, over here in our, our truckload uh, uh, team. Uh, when we're looking at what the Teamsters are doing in uh, their negotiations with uh, their drivers, it, it looks like maybe the Teamsters might be kind of forced to go back to work and capitulate in that as well. So to me, it seems like uh, the, the government entities that are getting involved here are, are not really siding with uh, uh, management and business, uh, but they're definitely pushing uh, the union into what they feel is best for the U.S. economy, not so much the workers. And Paul, when we're looking at this situation and how it's played out, do we have any idea of really any lessons learned moving forward uh, that is going to be applied to future negotiations? Yeah, I I would think that um, the pandemic really drove a lot of this. People had a lot of fresh really raw uh, 
emotion going into this on the shipper and the governmental side. Uh, they, there's an inflationary concern there. So coming out of a lot of lessons being learned during COVID and uh, the great congestion and, and et cetera, uh, I think the, the lesson would be uh, don't let these items get to the very last minute. You know, negotiate in, in good faith, uh, enter in negotiations well before the, the last minute, because where people's psyche is after, uh, you know, everything that we've endured the last 18 to 24 months is going to be to keep operations smooth and keep the economy protected and the consumer and, and be mindful of the inflationary impact of strikes and, and, and pushing things to the last minute and uncertainty. And hopefully what we'll learn is to negotiate uh, well in advance and in good faith and keep operations moving smoothly. Paul, I think that's an amazing insight. And I think you're spot on, especially with some of those inflationary potential pressures being built as well. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure to have you on. All right, James says hello, and y'all have a good weekend. <laughs> Return the favor, James. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in for that one right now. We're going to go over to the wall because we have Kaylee Nix with our next weather update.